17 through 24 this morning, although we're going to look at the whole psalm. Psalm 71, 17, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all those who are to come. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. I will also praise you with the harp and even your truth, O my God. To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, and my soul, which you have redeemed, my tongue also, will utter your righteousness all day long. For they are ashamed, for they are humiliated, all who seek to hurt me. So I bring you to Psalm 71 this morning. We're going to look at the entirety of the psalm. Together we'll walk through the whole of it. Uh, so... A little bit of tongue-in-cheek, the title of the message is Assisted Living But No Retirement. And so Robert asked me, well, what are you going to preach on Sunday? And I said, Psalm 71, dealing with retirement. And I know that seems a little bit odd that Scripture would teach about it, but actually this psalm does talk about it. In an interesting way, the way that the psalmist desires to, to finish well his life when he grows older. So this is sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek, if you will, title for the message, but I give you this thought from Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 18. I love this proverb. But the path of the righteous is like the bright morning light, growing brighter and brighter until the full day. It's an amazing proverb, and I leave that for you to ponder and meditate on. But really, this should be our life as a believer, that as we progress on and go further in our life, as we advance and we grow older and older and older, the brighter and brighter our life should become. Never dimming, but always growing brighter. The big idea of this psalm is this. Spiritual warfare does not allow for retirement in our old age. For a believer, there is no option for retirement. Now, you can sort of balk at that and say, well, what do you mean by that? You mean I can't retire from my job? The answer is yes, you can. But the point is that we as believers cannot retire from being a believer. We cannot retire from serving and ministering for the Lord. But unfortunately, frequently this happens. There is this mentality that when I retire from the one, the workplace, I retire from the other. And in my life growing up in the church, I've seen this happen again and again and again and again. Not only that, but I've heard others preach on this. So this isn't an unusual thing. This is unfortunately a usual thing. But for us as believers, we know that the war is going on, that there are still enemies of our soul, as the psalmist reflects in verse 13. And so therefore, the struggle and the conflict is always ongoing, and it will be until we go home to be with the Lord. 
So in one sense, we can say, yes, there is retirement for the believer, but then again, no, there isn't. And really for us as believers, if we see our occupations as merely just a mission field, then when we leave that one mission field, we go to a new one, but we're still the same person always and forever, a believer, a follower, one who has declared and testified to the Lord. As Christians, we're called on to persevere in the faith, and that requires active effort on our part. And even if we follow the Lord faithfully from our youth, it does not give us a free pass when we get older. There are some who have served the Lord for many years, and when they got older, they decided, now it's time for me to live for myself. I've heard of missionaries who have served the Lord, and in their 70s, divorced their spouse to go off and live their life for themselves because they have felt like, well, I've earned this now. I can go do what I want to do. But even if you have served the Lord faithfully through your youth, when you get older, you do not get a pass. Now this is intriguing to me in this psalm because it has been suggested by some that this psalm was written by a Levite. The mention to the, the, the lyre and the harp and so on in the end of this psalm. Why it's intriguing to me if it was written by a Levite is Levites, they were not given an inheritance like the rest of the nation of Israel. In other words, they were not given land of which to grow crops and have cattle and so on. They were dedicated and set apart for the Lord. In other words, their provision and care was out of the generosity of God's people. They retired at 50 by God's instruction. So they retire, then what? If they depended on the generosity of God's people to provide for them when they were in service in the temple, what do they do when they retired? Just a thought, it raises the level of dependence upon God to a higher level, right? In a different kind of life. But no matter what you do, if you've served the Lord, you do not get a pass later in life. We are not only to persevere in the faith, but we are responsible to testify to the Lord's righteousness and power as He gives us victory and deliverance in our lives. In other words, it's not just passively getting by. We are to be actively proclaiming things about God to the end of our days. So here's the question that arises, okay, and I'm going to ask it. For those who are in the age who are preparing for this time in our life when we will eventually retire, here's my question. Do our plans of retirement center around praising, ministering, and serving the Lord? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because for the psalmist in verse 18, notice he says this, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who are to come. In other words, this psalmist wants to go out serving God. He wants to get older glorifying God. Getting older to glorify God means getting old in a way that makes God look glorious. In other words, it's living and dying in a way that shows that God is the all-satisfying treasure that He is. Now think about this for a moment. If that is true then, this includes in, for example, not living in ways that makes this world look like our treasure. 
which means that most of the suggestions the world offers us of what a life could look like in retirement are bad ideas because none of them reflect that God is the all-satisfying treasure. They reflect that the world is the treasure. Even the experiences, I'm retiring and I want to travel and I want to see places and have experiences and eat kinds of food I never got to eat before. I want to do these things, right? They call us to live in a way that would make this world look like our treasure and when that happens, God is belittled. So if I could give you a, a more serious title for this message, it is this, Pressing On to End Well. And this is what I desire for my life. I want to press on to end well. And I trust this is the same for all of us this morning. And the psalmist, no doubt, he's past middle age and he is greatly concerned about the burdens of old age. We see this in verse 9 and verse 18, but he wants to end life well. He understands and he realizes that old age presents all kinds of specific dangers and demands upon life, even for a believer. And he knows that the mature years of life may come with problems and usually do come with problems. We can expect this in life on this earth in a sinful world, but even it reveals problems. In other words, it reveals troubles in his heart that have been there his whole life that he needs to deal with. Sometimes the afflictions that come in our life is because there are troubles deep within that have been in our heart all along throughout our life and they need to be removed so that we can serve God faithfully in the last years that we have on this earth. And so sometimes God has to take drastic measures to remove those things from our life. Yet in each of these things, he saw opportunity for spiritual growth and encouragement for others. In other words, through his life, he saw that the younger believers and the generation to follow could see the righteousness and power of the Lord through his life. So one of the treasures that I've had in my life was to be around my grandmothers before they went home to be with the Lord. To learn through them of God's righteousness and his power. So follow me and walk through Psalm 71 together. And we're going to talk about old age through here. Unfortunately, it's, it's here, so we have to deal with it. <clears throat> but the first thought is this, verses 1 through 6, old age is not a time to live in the past. I find that I do this, right? And in the older we get, we reminisce about the good old days, right? The things, the bygone years. We find ourselves, as we get older, telling more and more stories. Reflecting on the past. Is this bad? No, because we know that God is the God of the past. We know that there are things that He has done in the past. And we even know that we can draw comfort from the things that He has done in the past. When we find ourselves discouraged and worried, at least I know for myself, the older I get, the more I do this. I look back to the days and I count my blessings. I look at all the times that God was faithful to me throughout my life and the ways that He provided all the things that He has done. And I find strength and I find encouragement through those things. But here's a thought. We can look to the past and remember and be thankful. We can learn from examples of the past. But here's the point. We can never live in the past. This is Philippians 3. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Right? I press on. 
So look and remember, be thankful, learn, but don't live there. And the psalmist looks at this, verse 6, from birth he had been sustained by the Lord. In his youth he had been taught by the Lord. He was continually thankful to the Lord for this. And I was thinking about this because I really don't want to be this way. I do not want to become a grumpy old man when I get old. I really just don't want to. And you can, you can see how it happens. I mean, I even look at myself, right? 51, I'm looking at the things that are happening in the world. I find myself getting a little crotchety. Right? You start grumbling, complaining, griping, grousing at things that are going on in the world and in life. Rather than being thankful. And I started thinking through Scripture, does God deal with grumbling and griping? Yes, He does. You know that He threatens some pretty terrible things to those who grumble in Psalm 106. Murmuring dishonors God who promises to work all things together for our good. Complaining puts out the light of our Christian witness before the world. Philippians chapter 2. And a critical anxious spirit dries up any kind of joy and peace that we may have. Philippians 4. So there's nothing funny about, although I know the movie was made, but there's nothing funny about grumpy old men. Not in the life of the believer. And because this is the way that God views this, there's no way that we really want to grow old to become grumpy, grousing old men and women. So here's a commitment that I'm going to make for myself, and I will challenge you to make for yourself as well. For those who are creeping on in life, this is a commitment. Let us remember with wonder and thanks the thousands of times that we have leaned on God and learned from Him since our youth. Because we don't make this a commitment, right? We'll end up going there. It's just what happens when the world weighs down on you and life starts pressing in on you. Especially when you're facing affliction and suffering. But not only is God the God of the past, He is the God of the present. And this is where the psalmist is going to focus. Notice with me, the psalmist reflects in the fact in verse 6 that he was upheld and sustained from his womb. But now he is approaching verse 9 and verse 18. He's approaching old age and he desires to be sustained even greater with strength as his strength diminishes. So through here he is going to look at the God of the God of the present. In regards to his refuge, the first, God is still our refuge, verse 1. Notice, in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge, and he will continue to do so through this psalm. As he faces the afflictions that he is suffering in life, and as he grows older, God will be his refuge. So I had this thought, and I'm just going to give you this challenge from this verse 1, all right? And it's simply this. Take refuge in God rather than taking offense at your troubles. Take refuge in God rather than taking offense at your troubles. In other words, see them as an opportunity to trust God, not gripe at God about them. It's amazing when you go through the Psalter, the way the Psalms start. The focus, the perspective that are given as you enter in, as the psalmist begins to talk about the struggles and difficulties in life. Take refuge in the Lord. Notice verse 3, he says, For you are my high ridge and my stronghold. Now I know that in ASB it's translated rock, but the term here is literally high ridge or cliff, and it's a metaphor picturing God as a rocky, relatively inaccessible summit. 
In other words, the psalmist is looking at the Lord for care, peace, and protection so that he might remain faithful, right? Faithful to the faith and not become ashamed of it. In other words, he's not trying to run away from life. He's facing life, but he knows that he needs God's strength and peace in order to endure what he is going to endure in life. And especially as he grows older and he knows what the challenges are, he doesn't want to run from them. He wants to face them, but he needs God's strength in order to face them. Just as much as he needed them in his youth, he now needs them even greater in his old age. The Lord was his habitation and will continue to be his habitation and his help. He will continue to live there. Live in his strength. God is still our deliverer. Notice verse 2. In your righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. And it's interesting because righteousness is mentioned five times in this psalm. And it refers not only to an attribute of God, but it also refers to his faithfulness in keeping his word. A righteous God is always active in regards to helping His people, and He is faithful to the word that He gives. He lives rightly in accord with that. He is just. He is fair. So through this psalm, we see that God issues the command and the deed is done. Verse 3, we see that God's people can always come to Him, always praise Him, always hope in Him. Why? Because God never fails. He is righteous. He is fair. He is just. He always does what is right, especially for His people. He is faithful to His word. The psalmist knows this and draws on this truth then as he leans on the righteousness of God all the way through here. Not only that, but then he is going to declare the righteousness to others who will listen to him the next generation that comes. Notice verse 15, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. There is so much that I could talk about. It is innumerable the things that we can declare about the righteousness of God. Verse 4, Rescue me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the grasp of the wrongdoer and ruthless man. God is still our hope. Verse 1, let me, be ever, let me never be ashamed. Verse 5, for you are my hope, O Lord God, my confidence from my youth. Hope here is the one on whom he waited with certain expectation. There is assurance and certainty in this. It is not wishful thinking in, in Scripture when we talk about the issue of hope. It's not like the world, wishful thinking. There is certainty. There is assurance. You can rest your life upon it because his confidence finds its resting place in God himself. And not only that, but God is still our sustainer. Not only in our youth has he sustained, the psalmist says, from the time of my birth, out of the womb of my mother, you are he who took me. But then he goes on in verse 20, he says, you, notice what he says in this verse, you who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again. Amen. He has shown me the troubles and distresses, but He will revive me again. And in other words, He has done this before. He will sustain me and He will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. He's done this before. He will do it again. He will sustain us to the end. The response in each of these sections is very intriguing to me. The first one comes in verse 6 and it is this, My praise is continually of you. 
And this is a refrain that runs through this psalm. So as he talks about old age and all the things that he is going to focus on and deal with, this is a continual response. My praise is continually of you. There is rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. And literally the wording is this, of you my praise shall be continually. So I had this thought, and this is a charge to myself and to the rest of us as well. But may we speak to God more and more of all His greatness until there is no room in our mouths for murmuring and complaining. May we talk to God more and more of all His greatness until there is no room in our mouths for murmuring or complaining. Because again, the refrain that walks through here is rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Second point, old age makes us look weak and vulnerable, but God will not forsake us, verses 7 through 11. It does that, doesn't it, right? I mean, you look at all the scams and everything that are out there in the world today. They prey upon who? The elderly, right? They're weak, they're vulnerable, they don't know, especially in the technological age and the things that we have advanced in, right? We see more and more of these ploys to try and luring them out of their retirement money and all the things that they have saved up and so on. Because there's a vulnerability there. There's a seeming weakness there. But what they don't see is God is there with His people. So here's the thought, despite of how our situation might look to our enemies or to others, God will never, never forsake you. Now verse 7 is interesting, and I, and I reflect on this, the surprising resiliency that comes, verse 7, when we are weak, God shows His strength. Now, notice, NASB, NASB translate this way, I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. Now I'm going to talked about this verse a little bit because this was intriguing to me when I came to this, especially walking through the Hebrew. It has been rendered this way, verse 7, many are appalled when they see me, but you are my secure shelter. Now this sounds a little bit different from the word wonder. Okay? So let me tell you what the psalmist is saying here, and then we'll pull it apart a little bit and look at the Hebrew. The psalmist declares that he is held in repugnance by reason of the great calamities with which he was afflicted. In other words, when he says that he's a wonder, he's not talking about the power of God. He's saying that he is a sign. In other words, he is an omen to many. This is the Hebrew. In other words, when they look at him, they look at him as a warning example. And according to Psalm 70, verse 3, these are the people who say, Aha, ah, see this guy? Something. He must have done something in his life to end like this. To be in his old age and to have lost this and lost that. Obviously, he did something wrong. Obviously, he wasn't wise enough or he wouldn't be in the situation he's in or he wouldn't be going through this suffering. He wouldn't be facing these afflictions. Obviously, there's something wrong in his life. The curse of God is on him. You don't want to be like this guy. This is how they see him. But the psalmist says, but that's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. See, in the world's eyes, he's not ending well. In the world's eyes, he doesn't have property, he doesn't have things, he doesn't have stuff in hand, he doesn't have a savings account. Obviously, he is not ending well. But in God's eyes, he is ending very well. Why? Because he has God. 
and God stands by his side. Example, look at the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. When he was on trial, all those in Asia Minor left him, and there was no one who stood by him but who? The Lord. So they look at him and say, see this guy, look at what he's going through. Obviously the curse of God is on him. So whether he faces his direct assailants or whether he's facing public loss of reputation, God is still his secure shelter and that's all that matters. In other words, what could have resulted in deep depression for him rather resulted in praise to God. Verse 8, notice with me. For my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Because I have all I need. And it doesn't matter what appears to others, what my life looks like. All that matters is what it is before the Lord. The sobering reality, however... We don't merely appear to be weaker and vulnerable. We do get weak and vulnerable. So that happens when you get old. You fall apart. <laughs> so it's funny, my kids, when they can do something better than me, right? And, and, and they sort of like, I can't believe I outdrove you, Dad, or I can't believe I did this, I can't believe that. And I say to them, well, why are you surprised? You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do better than me. I'm going to grow weaker and more decrepit, and you're going to grow stronger, right? This is what's supposed to happen. I don't get bummed. I rejoice. I want my kids to excel over me. I've jumped the fence. It's time for them to jump the house, as the old African proverb goes. <laughs> so in light of this reality, then, the psalmist says, Do not reject me in my old age when my strength fails. Do not abandon me. The reason being is because when we are weak and frail, we are going to be attacked. And he deals with this in verses 10 and 11 with the scheming treachery. For my enemies talk against me and those waiting for a chance to kill me. They plot my demise, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is no one to deliver. When you're weak and helpless, they will pounce. The response, verse 8, in the midst of this, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Third, our old age offers great opportunities to testify to God's righteousness and saving power. Quickly with me, watch, perpetual reliance. Notice with me, verses 12 and 13 in verse 14. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, hasten to my help. Let those who are my adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me, I will hope continually. Can I just say this? Teach the younger generation how to live a dependent life, not an independent life. This is the one thing I learned from my grandmothers. All the stories they told me about their life with my grandfathers and their life of serving the Lord over and over, all they reminded me of was the fact that I must live a dependent life upon the Lord. 
Sometimes as parents we fail when we, we think that our job is to raise our children to be independent. That's not our task. Our task is to raise them to be dependent upon God. And it's a great day when they learn that lesson. Kayla went to a Bible study, young people, and so they were sharing about how God has made provisions in their life and, and providentially cared for them in that. And so she sat there quietly for a while, but then finally she started to share, and she starts telling these stories about all the ways that God has provided for this household. And they were ooing and aahing and couldn't believe that God would do things like that. An amazing lesson learned. A life of dependence upon God. And if that's the only thing my kids learn from me, then amen to that. But hopefully they'll learn some more. Teach a generation a life of dependence, not independence. Notice this perpetual proclamation of confidence. Verse 14, the first line, But as for me, I will continually hope. The psalmist, he makes it very clear that he will hope doggedly and not give in to despair. Even in a nursing home, even if he outlives all of his friends, I will continue to hope. I will continue to hope. And finally, verses 15 through 21, perpetual proclamation of God's righteousness and saving power. Notice verses 15 16, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. I will come with mighty deeds of the Lord God, and I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. Can I just say this? Find people to tell about God's wonderful acts of salvation. Find somebody, especially in the generation that is coming up, find them and tell them about the amazing righteousness of God and His acts of deliverance. And don't run out of them because they're innumerable. Verse 19, I love this. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Answer, nobody. Nobody. And here's the response, verse 14. And I will praise you yet more and more. Finally, we'll end with this. Old age is a time to exalt in new victories with youthful shouts of joy. Can I just say this? The older we get, the louder we should get. But not in our complaining, but in our rejoicing. Because we're that much closer to going home to be with the Lord. Amen? Notice how he ends verses 22 and following. I will express my thanks to you with a stringed instrument, praising your, you, your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises right, to you accompanied by a harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy. Yes, I will sing your praises. I will sing, right? I will praise you when you rescue me. All day long my tongue will also tell about your justice. For those who want to harm me will be embarrassed and ashamed. Notice how he ends this. I will praise you, Lord, with the stringed instrument, with the harp, with my lips, with my soul that has been redeemed, with my tongue. I will go out singing the praises of God. That's the way to retire from this life. Amen.
May God help us, right? May God help us as we walk through this stage. Dad, would you close in a word of prayer?